0: hey guys i'm here today with aj aka the plant stable on instagram aka the amazing cannabis pictures (laughs) he's going to talk to us about how he got started with growing and how he has a dispensary so aj how long have you been growing and how did you get into it
1: um i've been growing for over a decade now but i guess um professionally though not not nearly as long um professionally since 2014 ish or 15 um i like selling to dispensaries quote unquote uh so before that mainly just medical patients or um you know different avenues before back then how that had to work uh so um but i i guess i started growing um uh, quick well i guess it was because when i was in high school and i bought from somebody i saw like a plant at one point in a closet and it was like mystical and magical and that kind of like not realizing that could be done in a closet um so I tried to grow some like little seeds when I was in high school some like Reggie seeds that I found just from pretty much just like real um overgrown super high temp like you know classic Mexican weed that I got in Texas because that's where I'm from so I tried to grow out some of those seeds had like no luck but uh one I think when I was like a senior in, in high school, like one, you know, sprouted out, got, like, I mean, it died, it was covered in mold and stuff, but it, Aww. you know, gave me hope. Uh, yeah. so after that, I went to Arizona and, um, basically this lady named Jeannie, uh, Catherine, she goes by the grow lady. She taught me all my basics of everything that I know. And she really was like the, I guess the foundation of my, like all my cannabis knowledge in terms of cultivating, um, and cultivating for, Uh, high quality like medical grade cannabis that could be you know sold or given to medical patients so then basically I ran with that um, and have always just been trying to do bigger and better Uh, so after I graduated uh, college because that's where I kind of met her during my college experience Um, not at college but because I moved and didn't know very many people I met her through um, different medical programs and um, basically through her teaching me that I got to that point where at her facility, you know, she only had a limited amount of space and I really wanted to expand and move forward. So then that's what brought me out to Oregon, mainly, uh, because I did this uh, trip after, I guess I graduated all the major cannabis cities at the time. So in 2000, at the end of, uh, 2015, at the beginning of 2016, I did like a big trip, uh, uh, a couple of different cities in California, uh, Denver, um, Boulder, actually, a couple different cities there, a couple different cities in Oregon. And uh, personally, at the time, I felt that Oregon had like the best um, concentration of growers and really just a bunch of people who were hyper competitive with each other. And um, the, I mean, it spoke for itself. Every dispensary here, it seemed at the time, just had amazing flour. And so that's kind of why I chose Oregon, because I just felt if I came here, maybe I could get in with some of those people. Um, It was a rough start, to say the least. Uh, But I eventually found, you know, some people that I could build with. And then um, I moved on to uh, working with Truly Organic. um, And now I'm a co-owner. And so we have a farm down in Bandon, Oregon. um, And we have a dispensary up in here in Portland.
0: That's awesome. Wow. I think I found them on Instagram. (laughs) Oh
1: yeah, no, it's it's been a, it's been a journey for sure.
0: That's great. So you knew you wanted, like, when did you decide you wanted to be in the industry?
1: Uh, Probably, I mean, for sure it was um, during the end of my, well, I was growing with her and I was really learning like the magic of like, you know, the capabilities of the plant. Um, So she was really the one who really showed me like the craziness of what was like the potential of it. So I guess I would say sometime during that um, time frame was when I was really serious about I was going to make this my career. I was going to school for film um, and I uh, not like I had like crazy stuff going for me, but I was really starting to get on like really good films um, in a sense of like the bigger name films. And then it's all about who, you know, in that industry, too. So since I was getting on those bigger name films, I, I had a good thing going for me where as long as i didn't like cause any drama or like mess up or anything i would be you know i'd keep getting that kind of that boost and bump to where i would get on more and more but um yeah sometime uh, i want to say around that junior senior year mark um i kind of was pretty vocal with a lot of the film people i was like selling medical stuff to all the film people and all the film sets
0: so i like
1: eventually just learned or thought like this you know and i the feeling I got where people would open the bag and be just like mystified by what they saw. And a lot of people, you know, told me things that I guess kind of boosted my ego and really wanted, um, really made me want to like try to actually go do something. Cause it made me feel like I had something special with cannabis where in film, I mean, I was happy with doing what I was doing, but I didn't really feel like I was um, I don't know. I like I had anything special compared to anybody else, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally understand that. So, what steps did you take to get you to the next level? Uh, really,
1: just trying to be competitive with, um, in the, in the, in a friendly way though with everyone. Um, I really like to to surround myself too with like-minded, like cannabis individuals who really mm-hmm. want to talk about cultivating or talk about the, I guess, the finer matters um, and the things that like I really personally care about, and then hear the fun things that they care about. Um, And I think that just kind of, I don't know, maybe like the round table talk with, you know, growers and then like minded individuals just in the industry, I think is what really has, I guess, kept elevating me from meeting Jeannie, um, which she just filled me up with so knowledge. And then just that like hunger to want to know more all the time, because she really instilled in me that at the time she had already been growing for, I mean, not cannabis, but had been a horticulturalist for over 45 years. And I've been growing ah. cannabis for a while too. So from learning from her, I knew it wasn't, there was no BS. And I knew that it was all coming from love. And she just really wanted to pass on her knowledge to somebody. So um, she would always tell me that she wasn't like, she would be like, I'm, a, I'm an okay grower, but I'm not that great. And I thought she was the best grower ever. So I was definitely humbled by the fact that um, very experienced growers never tell you they're a master grower. They never tell you, you know, that they have all this. Experience. they just kind of go with the flow and do their best to like produce the best thing they can. And normally like their product just speaks for itself. So it's always been just trying to um, constantly, I guess, talk and communicate with others to share ideas and make new ones and go out and test things and fail. And yeah, do all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. That's great. I mean, so like, what obstacles did you face leading up to like deciding you wanted to
1: have your own dispensary? Um, so that yeah, great question. It's mainly the market. And, uh, so we at, it came to a point where our farm, um, was, I, I was the, I guess like the head of sales, if you will, I was just basically going around all around Oregon, trying to sell, um, basically our product. And then I had, uh, one or two other guys, like, you know, helping me out, trying to either make meetings or also help me with selling product. But it was mainly, um, just, getting into the dispensaries and basically convincing whomever the purchaser might be that you know you your product uh, needs to be on their shelf and that i could go into this for like hours but <laughs> it's, it's very interesting the dynamic in the dispensaries because a lot of people i would think that the customers or like a lot of people that walk into the dispensaries are thinking that maybe the owners or um like the head investor or something, whatever you want to call it, like basically the guy with the money who put in all the money is doing like the buying and the purchasing. And it's very, very rarely the case, like almost never. Um, it's normally, you know, like a a hired purchasing manager or a buying manager or someone um, who's doing that purchasing. And the only reason I say that is because a lot of the times uh like for someone like me who I own a dispenser and I do my own purchasing, I'm extremely, extremely careful with everything just because it's, It is technically, you know, our money just going in a big circle. Um, So we really try really hard to like find and nitpick um, a lot of things to just get the best thing for us. But what happens in a lot of other places is maybe uh, someone might not be having the best time or basically since it's not quite, you know, directly correlated to their money. There um, is a lot of uh, spending that might be done kind of haphazardly or a little bit more recklessly. And not saying that every, I mean, tons of dispensaries have phenomenal buying managers. But um, when I guess the chains start happening and then, you know, you got one dispensary who owns like 30 or 40 locations, um, that then turns into a situation where there is no selling to a store. You have to, you know, contact their uh, leadership team or like their buying team or whomever is their purchasing team. And then it turns into like a team thing where basically I'm going in and there's like two or three or four people who are asking every question under the sun, which I always love. Um, but that, I guess, can get really hard, too, at the same time, uh, just because everyone kind of wants to know something in particular for their own reasons or their own ethos to carry um, a product in their dispensary. Right. So that that's another challenge, too, is all the dispensaries have their own ethos. They have all their own little nitpicky things. Uh, but basically, it just came down to uh, I wasn't able to go to all these places and to – basically do all these road trips 24 seven. And we started to realize too, that, you know, seven days a week, if someone orders something from us on Monday, but like they're, I don't know, like a four hour drive there, it's illegal for us to send anything through the mail or to have anyone else carry it basically, besides like the people that we have in our system um, connected to the company. So we're basically then, you know, I would have to schedule out how I'm going to make this trip four or five hours away but then also cover all of our other regulars clients. so yeah so we just figured it was best um at that time to look for a dispensary and quite honestly the only reason we have one is because this guy that we got it from his name is steve mason shout out to steve uh was in just a blessing in disguise um in terms of being easy to work with uh, being a local guy who owns the dispensary locally and like locally owned and operated kind of thing um, was looking to get out of it, mainly because he didn't have a farm. So for him, um, outsourcing all of the products, uh, he was you know doing fine, but it, it does get a little, I guess, um, you know, it, it's, it's challenging if you're running a dispensary and you're always having to order literally every product from the dispensary. For us, it is nice that there's a lot of our flour that goes into our dispensary. So it's not ordering like every day something new. Um, but I could see anyways where I'm going at with that. He just made it so easy to where we got a dispensary. Um, I would say easier than like pretty much everyone. I mean, we still had to pay for it, obviously, and it wasn't cheap, but yeah. it was um, much, much easier. I feel based off the stories I've heard. Uh, how he handled it and how we came about um, doing the deal with him um, that made it just really seem. I mean it, it took a long time in terms of the legality the OLC like our governing body who handles all of the cannabis um, rules and transfers and blah 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 they took their sweet time of course, of course. But in terms of uh, Steve being cool with like knowing that and like kind of everything being up in the air there's plenty of times where he could have, you know, pulled the rug out from under us and obviously didn't. So I can't speak higher on, you know, just him and his integrity and, and being basically like just his word. He, you know, he stuck to his word when he totally could have, you know, um, done some things that would have really made it challenging, I guess, for us to, you know, operate or, you know, take over and, and do all that stuff.
0: That's amazing. He's a great person. <laughs>
1: yeah no yeah he's a really cool guy he's from what we've heard like as rare as it gets in the cannabis industry so what is your
0: day-to-day operation
1: like uh so no two days are the same which i love uh but we uh since now we got that store i either do handle stuff um with the breeding projects that i got going on uh at like the plant stable how you've gotten in contact with me so doing all that fun stuff, creating new genetics for the farm. Um, so I handle all that normally in the morning. And then I'm either gonna go sell uh, products for our farm or I'm gonna be doing uh, stuff at the store for either buying like, you know, purchasing products or um, helping out with covering shifts or like whatever we got to do at the store. Uh, but it's, it's cool that I guess no two days are the same, but every day is kind of hectic. So um, <laughs> it, is, it is stressful, but it's fun at the same time.
0: So you like the busy lifestyle? Oh, I'm sorry, what? You like that busy lifestyle?
1: To do less. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if, uh, I mean, I guess I'm doing more now. It's, uh, it's just a never ending, because um, the sales thing too, with doing the sales, I guess we do still sell outside of our dispensary. So um, that can get a little challenging too. Some people don't like the fact that we own a dispensary and they're still selling flower which to okay. us doesn't make very much sense. Um, but some, some people aren't a, a big fan of that. Hmm.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. But selling the flower though now, um, it is, it, in my opinion, it is getting easier because we are using all cultivars uh, from the breeding projects that I've been doing. So like exclusive stuff to our farm, uh, which is really fun that I can now go in and say, you know, everything is exclusive to us, which makes it a lot. I guess uh, more appealing for a lot of people who like want to carry it as opposed to carrying genetics that, you know, everyone's kind of growing. So um, that has made things easier for sure. But the day to day is still, oh, just so hectic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I
0: bet. So, how does your team decide what to sell and like what to carry?
1: Yeah, so at our, um, Charles and I, my business partner, Charles, uh, we decide pretty much everything that comes into the store. And we basically just uh, ask a lot of questions for anyone that's coming in and selling. um, Our main thing is just uh, if you can answer, you know, the basic rudimentary questions about your business and about how you do things and how you develop the product in terms of like, if it's a, uh, like a cartridge vaporized pen, like how you know what was the processing done in order for the like you know to get that pen made like how how did you what flour did you source how'd you make it all that fun stuff and then same thing with the flour just kind of like how'd you grow it where was it ground in terms of like indoor outdoor greenhouse supplemental what like however you want to word it we just kind of want to make sure that those people selling it uh kind of know what they're selling because it is um it is, I will say, being in the legal market now where there's been a lot of uh, corporate um, companies that have come in and a lot of wholesalers that have come in, it's pretty it's pretty wild how many people come into the store and try to sell product that have literally zero idea about any of it. Um, and oh, like, gosh. I mean, like, yeah. And I mean, when I say zero idea, they might be trying to sell like, um, I don't know, they might have like a cherry pie strain or something like that, like something more generic. And they're like, so this is cherry pie. And you're like, cool. Like, what does it test at? And they're like, Oh, I don't know. And then you're like, okay, well how much do you want for it? And they're like, Oh, I mean, I can go check my list. And you're like, man, you're trying to sell me weed that you don't know the price. You don't know the testing. You don't know the genetics. And so it it gets a little weird sometimes um, because you kind of have to point out to them, like, you know, these are important factors that I need to know in order to even consider buying from you. Um, But we've realized that in doing that, some people are really shocked that we're how in-depth we want to get on some of it, which we don't feel like it's super in-depth, but they do. So mm-hmm. we have realized, too, that uh, there are a lot of stores that maybe don't have the, uh, I guess, particular, um, they, they just, you know, aren't really getting down uh, to, the, to the end product of, like, how this came into their store, um, which I guess I know that I'm probably going to bring it up already, but the THC thing is, like, the biggest thing. Because just that's all anyone wants, and it sucks yeah. because uh, the customers want that the most. Which I get it. Um, we're there to have, we gotta somehow figure out a better way to educate the customer that that's not like the, you know, the end all be all. Um, but right now, that's what you know, 99% of customers that's the end all be all is the THC number to them.
0: Yeah. So um,
1: in saying that, it has like shifted the industry a little bit to where. Um, Most farms now are trying to grow, you know, very high uh, THC cultivars or they're trying to manipulate maybe um, their buds to test really to when it goes to testing to test really high, uh, just because you can obviously get a lot more money or it's easier to sell. Plus, you can get more money if it's a higher tester. And then um, if it's I don't know, like something a bit like, let's say, more generic um, and it has like a very high testing score that seems to be what the majority would want because the uh you know a lot of, we've realized too a lot of people don't know as much about i guess the strains and the history of like the plants and the cultivars mm-hmm. so we've noticed even at our store if we have a classic household name like a blue dream or maybe like a Durban poison or like you know just a like an og kush a girl scout something like a very household name and it's a high tester it flies off the shelf instantly um, but then if we have something that like maybe I created that's a little weird like uh, our strain, like one of my strains, Caribbean uh, vampire which is a funky name yeah and I love it but a lot of people will like look at it on the shelves and see that name and be like huh that's weird and then just go right past it because it's a little weird for them. Uh, so we're trying to learn all the ins and outs about everything but Anyways, to get back to the question, we, we just try to ask a lot of questions, make sure those people know exactly what um, they are selling, and then if it looks good, if their ethos is right, if the company looks like it fits with our values, then we you know choose to carry them on our shelves.
0: Nice. And how do you come up with strain names? That's
1: like. <laughs> I uh, so I have an awesome network of my brother's friends, um, and then just different people at the store, or uh, I try to bounce stuff off all the time like i've a couple of times like if i'm like talking with a bartender or something i'll like even ask them what they would like name something that has you know a cross of two things just because everyone has weird things that they say but my brother came up with caribbean vampire because uh, the cross is tropicana cookies and garlic breath
0: um so Oh, that's
1: so good. (laughs) Yeah. And so he came up with that one, but, um, I normally will text him. He, he has the best name. So I'll text him just, uh, and he's not in the cannabis industry at all. Uh, he works, um, for one of his friends, um, and they do like sign work, but anyways, I'll send them like all these crosses and then he'll sit around with them at lunch. And I guess they'll, I don't know, shoot the shit with each other and they'll come up with different like fun names and then they text them back. So. A lot of them come from him, which is cool.
0: I love that. And this is talking about like the THC percentages. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I read an article about that recently how like uh, the industry is not really telling people that high percentage doesn't mean like the best quality or like the most quarter, whatever you said. Um, Do you think they'll ever like tell customers that like the highest percentage doesn't mean that it's the best?
1: Or you think yeah, Yeah. know, I really hope so. I, I, so total cannabinoids are starting to become more of a thing in Oregon, which um, people are posting like a total cannabinoid number, which basically factors in THC, CBD, like of all the cannabinoids that they're testing for. Um, I don't know how I feel about that quite yet either, uh, because it seems um, it does seem, though, that certain um certain plants are getting uh, I guess a very high total concentration level which is kind of manipulating the customer a bit because it'll be like let's say forty percent cannabinoids um, which then the customer will then translate that into oh that means forty percent THC which isn't really true uh, uh, so yeah so the the terpene testing I think is like incredibly crucial and important um that hasn't gotten super mainstream I mean it's like a lot of people know about it um, but it would be nice if that was kind of more of a requirement to where you had to have terpene testing um, to really show, I guess, the different levels. Um, because each and I mean, it's still, you know, there's not as much science on it yet. So there's still going to be tons of stuff that comes out. But they kind of say that everyone has specific terpenes that, you know, really appeal to you because terpenes are in like everything from beers to fruits. You know, everything has terpenes. Um, and so, oh, they you know, they, they claim that there's certain ones that you're really going to like you personally, and then certain ones you're really not going to like. Mm-hmm. So I think um, as soon as maybe some of those products have like really legitimate breakdowns of their terpenes and then individuals, this is the biggest thing, I guess, is the, the customers, um, or if you're a, you know, if you're shopping at a dispensary, or if you're basically buying weed in any capacity to learn kind of what um, smells and terpenes that like you prefer uh, would take you a long way. And then I guess too, um, in a sense of like the, the, the testing just to put it out there, the best weed is not being grown right now because, um, it's not testing 30%. Like the best quote unquote weed on the planet, the most tasteful, the stuff that's going to get you the highest is not being mass produced for the most part because it's not going to ever test in the 30% range. It's just, um, those specific, like, uh, those specific, I guess, um, the genes inside of all of those cultivars that are, you know, really stony, really potent, taste really good. They're just not producing the amount of like trichomes to, you know, test that way. But what's funny about it too, is there, there's plenty of weed out there. That's like 18%, 15% that the stoniest of stoners are going to get baked on. And a lot of people like to think that, you know, if they smoke, um, all these 30 percenters then they have to smoke 30 percenters to get high and it's just the farthest thing from the truth because if you're uh you know if you if you're someone who enjoys drinking you don't have to drink ever clear to get drunk like you can drink plenty of other things to get yeah get yourself at the point you want yeah Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's the thing even i didn't like realize with uh cannabis i read that recently too how like you can get similar like effects of being high even if you like take a uh, a less percentage of THC and you can smoke this yeah. out, and I was like what <laughs> Wait, I oh know. yeah so what do you think about the future of dispensaries
1: uh I'm I'm very curious I guess I don't know I'm a little nervous but I'm curious at the same time um I really hope that, I guess, to uh, everyone that when, or when you know, dispensaries become more mainstream in your area, if you're not in a legal area, or if you do go to a legal area where they do have dispensaries, to maybe be um, a bit more conscious on maybe trying to find a dispensary that is, I wouldn't say, like, I'm going to say locally owned and operated because I'm biased because I would like for more people to, you know, try to take care of their locally owned and operated dispensaries, but Um, I would mainly just say, you know, a dispensary or find the dispensaries who are outsourcing really high quality products Um, online. It's very hard to tell, but easy at the same time, if you just take a little bit uh, to do the research. But if you go look at menus, pretty much all dispensaries have them now. And then the menus will show the uh, farm that is associated with the strain that they're selling. And nine times out of 10, if you look up that farm, if they if they are a farm who, you know, really does care about their product they're probably going to have a website they're probably going to be sharing their ethos their um like basically how they want their company be, por- to be to be portrayed and then what they're doing um that makes themselves different and you know special in their industry uh so i would just highly recommend you know doing a little bit more research on maybe the farms or um kind of like you know the I guess what you're looking for in terms of if you're going for quality to really make sure that you're buying from a farm who has a good representation or has a good um, rep for, you know, having said quality or good growing practices. Because like I said, the best, the best uh, weed doesn't have the highest THC and there's tons of farms out here that grow phenomenal um, weed that maybe doesn't test as high, but unfortunately they're having to sell their products for um, a lesser rate which then customers will then associate with it not being as good, but it's just because no one cares about, or everyone cares about THC. So when you grow something super bomb, but like, it's like at 18%, you got to sell it at like pretty much a bottom dollar price just to get it into stores. And then a lot of customers will then see that, uh, you know, that said weed, that's really bomb at a lower price than maybe the top shelf. And in their head immediately is, Well, that can't be as good as the top shelf because it's not on the top shelf. So Mm -hmm. it's it's really weird how it's all working. And we've tried to. I've tried very hard to put on our top shelf some teams and to stress to the customers, like, I promise it'll get you high. I Like X, Y, and Z, I promise it's going to work out for you. And they uh, are very hesitant. Um, Very few actually, you know, will trust you and purchase it. And then when they do, unfortunately, there is still that... um, you know that thing in the back of your head that's telling you like this is a low percentage so i think a lot of people convince themselves sometimes that it didn't do anything for them uh, or maybe that um when they do get a high percentage um that it like i don't know i think it play i think the mind has a lot to do with it um because we have sold as an experiment some um outdoor weed that was very seemingly i mean it, it smoked fine there was no mold or anything on it But seemingly not the best um, quality, but it was at 32%. And we did price it fairly, but we really wanted to see, like, is the customer this focused on numbers? Because our whole goal was to basically bring this on um, and then to, like, have zero effort. We told everyone, like, do not sell this at all. Like, it it wasn't bad, like I'm saying, but we just wanted a social experiment of, like, if we do not try to sell this weed at all, will it sell itself just because of the number? And it was gone before anything else was. Um, And, like, everything else we were pushing, totally organic, like, ocean grown, all this different uh, fun stuff that we could tell them about all this other product at the exact same price point. Um, but literally everyone would be like, man, that's awesome. That's so cool that this weed was grown that way. I'll take that 32% though. And so it would just be like, okay. Uh, so that was a good way to, you know, to really see where the customer base was at. And um, we've really, like I've said, we've tried very, very hard to educate and to keep pushing education. But at the end of the day, you know, you really can't argue with the customer in terms of if this is what the customer wants, it is what, you know, everyone has to kind of fall in line with. And um, and like I said, I'm not down talking any stores who like number chase and, you know, they only have 30 percenters because unfortunately it's never going to change until the customer starts coming in and saying, like, I don't care about THC. I want the best quality or I want like the stuff that, you know, you guys think is the best or kind of, I guess, trusting more um, maybe of the bud tenders um, recommendation. But then again, sometimes, too, depending on where you're at the bud tenders might be the exact same as like a guy at, um, you know, like a grocery store or in a sense of like a mini Mart where you're like, Hey, which beer should I get? And the guy's like, I don't know, dude, I drink this. So like, if you like that drink, I mean, I, you know, there's not a lot of input some places. So that was the other thing I guess is with that dispensary looking for them really trying to find those ones too, where the bud tenders are like knowledgeable really want to help and, uh, like you know really care about the products that they do carry not so much just there to um i guess pick weed out of a jar
0: yeah so like what other pointers would you give to a uh, person who's trying to find the best product for them you mentioned um being able to tell from package and unpackage can you expand on that oh yeah yeah
1: yeah so um so in Oregon, we have deli style. So you're legally allowed in Oregon as a dispensary to basically like, for the lack of a better understanding, you can have a shelf full of mason jars. And I can theoretically open the mason jar. And I mean, it's COVID, so we can't do quite this anymore. But we used to be able to open the mason jar and like literally be able to let the customer smell the mason jar. Um, so they could, you know, and, the, and look at the product inside so they could really tell. Uh, based off smell, if it's right for them. We like the mythology of, like, the nose-nose. So, like, if you smell it and you really, like, like that smell, you're probably going to really like the effects and really like the smoke. But a lot of states, like almost every state, I think, except Oregon, is is not deli-style. So you're forced to um, basically mylar seal or jar seal the uh, bud in a package. And um, then that goes onto a shelf, and you're basically picking the bud based off the packaging or based off the looks of the actual bud. Some states too will go even so far of like, you have to have your Mylar packaging 100% blacked out or the jar has to be 100% blacked out. So, so then boring. that even takes the, yeah. And that even takes the view away. So then that's even harder. So I would say the, the simplest stuff is if you have zero view of the bud, you I mean like there is no getting around it. You have to be a more active customer and looking up the farm, looking up the practices. Um, looking up pretty much every little nitpicky thing you can look up about the farm. That's what you kind of have to do. Um, and then it does fall on trust because obviously, I mean, there could be nothing in that jar, right? So like uh, it, it, it will all go on trust after you've done your research. Um, and you would probably have to maybe pick a couple farms. If you're like new to a state, you want to get into that and they maybe have no view of the cannabis. I would say you need to research a couple farms, go out and try a couple different farms, and then see which one maybe vibes well with you. There's probably a couple farms, if it's an illegal market, that are doing it you know, right and that you'll find that works for you. Um, if you can see the bud, it's pretty obvious. Um, if you do, uh, well, I guess I'm saying it's obvious. I know to a, a general customer, but one thing I would say to look out for is discoloration. You don't want any yellowing or browning. Um, if anything looks gray or fuzzy on the bud, big no-no. Uh, you don't want anything gray or fuzzy. Trichomes are great, um, obviously, but you don't want uh, PM or uh, powdery mildew mold spores. Um, if it's gray and fuzzy, that means it's, uh, well, it's the term botrytis, uh, which is maybe a little too technical, but inside of the bud, if you're cracking open buds um, and you're seeing like a grayish or a yellowing or a browning, most of the time, that probably means you shouldn't be smoking it because you're basically, you know, combusting mold spores which Um. I don't I can't imagine that would be good for you (laughs) I don't know the science behind that but I would think not uh so I would say um if you can see the bud uh sorry to go back to that just make sure the the things on the outside um all I guess look visually appealing and then in a sense of two seed pods um it's pretty easy to tell but basically there will be um tiny little uh it'll look like half an acorn or half of a it'll just look like a seed pod um, but it's basically like a little um it's like a crevice in the bud where you can tell a seed was once or there was once a seed there and if there's bud that you're buying that is seeded you'll just have to know you know you can experience those popping cracking type of things if you're smoking it it doesn't necessarily mean that the bud is like bad but it does it definitely doesn't mean that it's as of quality is probably something else you could buy. Um, and so if you can, though, in a deli-style state, if they are still allowing smells or if they have something, like at our store, we have some um, fans. So we'll, we'll open the jar and we'll fan it to the customer from a good di- distance away. Um, that's by far the best way because, you know, like I said, the nose knows. So if you can smell it, that's the best way. If you can't, I would say just, you know, being making sure that you can tell um, that that farm based off what you look up is doing things right, or at least that they have enough information to where you're convinced that you should try it or that you're convinced that you're wanting to, you know, give some of your money away to try kind of the, um, I guess, their practices, if you will. Uh, And then I guess the, the last thing with the packaging is packaging nowadays, like everyone's a graphic designer in terms of like Photoshop is It's everywhere. And um, like, I, I didn't go to school for it, but I like to think I'm pretty good at being able to make packaging and make all types of different labels. And there's a lot of people who pay people who are very talented to make like very, very appealing packaging and labeling. Uh, So just because it looks really pretty on the packaging and labeling side, obviously does not correlate to it being a good product. And I will say generally, um, in a general sense, if the packaging is extremely pretty and it's produced by a massive corporation, um, that's when you really need to look into things because, you know, they have all like if, if you're a very big company, you have the money, you have the funds in order to be paying for all of this extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is good to, I guess, kind of like I was saying, do a little bit more research on the company and just make sure that you fall in line with like what they're doing, because a lot of the times um just because the packaging looks pretty does not mean that the product will be a good product
0: yeah that's great advice thank you for sharing um, yeah sorry
1: i might have went a little too far
0: no no you did some great stuff i'm learning so much <laughs> um so why are most states not deli style that's my question
1: well, I, I don't know. I would say that it probably has to do with legislation. So in the few times where I've gone and tried to like do lobbying or for different like things in the Oregon market, um, it seems like most stuff, I guess, you know, basically with like writing the legislation and trying to get cannabis legal in all these different places, it's, it's really like picking and choosing a lot of your battles, um, just like it is with making any other laws or anything like that. So what normally happens is, you know, someone, um, when they're trying to get something like legalized, we'll push for, I'm sure most of them did push for deli style. Uh, but then someone countered that maybe in the health sector and said, like, that's not, uh, I don't know, like, maybe that's, that's not going to be up to code with like people being like a bud tender, being able to put their hands in it. Um, like Uh that won't be up to health code or people worried like, well, if it's deli style, then mainly, I guess that going just all into the, um, the keeping the product as, I guess, clean as possible, because I don't, my vocabulary is not the, not the, you know, the biggest, but, uh, I think it comes down to, yeah, more of the the trading off in legislation where, um, people would like to have it that way. And then they say, in order to ensure the quality of the product or to maybe that there's less hands going into all the different products that it needs to be packaged and sealed before even making it to the store. Um, I would say that the other reason for the legislation too, would be in terms of, um, well, Quality control is, I guess, what I was just talking about. But then, also keeping everyone honest in terms of if, um, like for us, I guess for deli style in Oregon, you know, people are I'm buying like a, a pound in a bag basically, and then I am putting that in a jar, and then I'm piecing that out to each individual based off what they would like. Um, there, they're selling it most of the time to the stores already uh, packaged into their, you know, into their specific packaging in terms of like a gram and eight a half whatever they're selling it so when you're getting it um in those amounts it obviously keeps those stores incredibly honest with like they got 51 gram containers and then they got maybe 58 containers and then 50 half ounce and then 50 full ounce so when they're selling all of those containers it's, it's very much accounted for and there's like pretty much no loss of product in terms of um like weight loss or all of this stuff that we account for in Oregon at the since we're divvying it out, we can't get all the grams exactly perfect. We can't get all the eights exactly perfect. So we have, you know, a moisture loss or just a general loss based off of sticks and stems, uh, little things that we do. Maybe a bud tender accidentally drops a couple buds, um, on, you know, just accidents happen. So yeah. for us, it's a little more um, up in the air in terms of there could be manipulation done, like people could choose to be you know be manipulating that system where in the other states it would be very hard to manipulate that system in store after all the product is there right oh that's
0: interesting so you also mentioned operating in the black market for a while so how do you feel now being in the legal market
1: (laughs) Uh, i like it a lot it's uh it's definitely less stressful on like having to worry about you know uh, things happening to you that you wouldn't yes. want. <laughs> so uh, that's fun. Um, but I will say it w- it's easier. It's always easier uh, in the black market, which is upsetting because that fuels the black market just because there isn't a, as much of a care about quality and all that kind of stuff. You know, there is no testing. Uh, your word is kind of what it is in the black market in terms of in this market. Uh, just a quick comparison is like, if I, a customer comes in that might not have a lot of cannabis knowledge and I tell them, like I was saying earlier, this, I just picked something that I believe is the best thing by far, let's say, and I'm like, this is the best by far here, are all these reasons, they might go, great, I will take the highest percentage. I don't care what you just said, but thank you, though, um, where in the black market, for instance, if I were to hypothetically go, this is the best thing you're ever going to find, the best thing. They're not going to question it. They're just going to be like, cool. Sounds great. to (laughs) me." And like, you know, that makes it a lot easier. And then in terms of like in that market, too, when you're doing things not directly on the book, like there are no books. So it's uh, there's a lot more wiggle room for everyone. There's a lot more. um, I guess it's a lot more up in the air, though, too, and a lot more dangerous and can be way more stressful. Uh, but it's, it's definitely different in both of its ways. But I will say once uh, legalization does happen across the whole country, I do think people are going to enjoy, you know, the experience of, you know, dispensaries. It seems like everyone out of state really, really enjoys um, every t- like every time they get a new person out of state. They they seem to really dig the, um, you know, recreational experience, mainly because of, you know, all the choices, everything's labeled. Um, we can tell you what you're getting in terms of like strains and uh the you know, the stuff that I think most customers are turning to. Uh, because you know, the general customer, even if you're not in a legal state, is more educated in terms of like the hype of strains. Uh so like, you know, someone here, for instance, if you're all about runs and you know, you're, that's all you care about because that's all you've heard uh, through social media. And that's, that's what you got to try. Totally. Like I get it. I totally get it. Cause when I was younger, I did the same thing with certain bros. Like I, they were growing a, you know, a strain that was in high times and I had to go get it. Um, and I traveled all across the city just to go get this like strain that was on the cover of high times. Cause I thought like that had to mean it was the best strain. Um, and so for those people though, that do that like i was saying there's nothing wrong with it but in a legal state it obviously you can go find that um you can a lot of the times if you have done your research and you know this farm has the legitimate cut of it or they have the legitimate plant um you can go to the dispensary that they got it at and you can purchase it and you can know it's legitimate and you're trying the real deal thing where obviously on the black market some dude telling you it's run you just have to believe them. Um, and th- there's, you know, there's nothing more to it than that kind of thing.
0: Awesome.
1: Well, yeah. that's
0: some amazing info. Thank you so much for taking the time and share it
1: with us. Oh, absolutely. It was great to have, or it was great being on. I appreciate you, you know, being able to use the platform and I guess, I don't know, talk about some, some cannabis stuff that not too many people are talking about, but mainly people just do your research, please, please. look yes. up on. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, put a little effort into, um, I guess, learning a little bit before you go into the dispensary, because like I said, too, some bud tenders don't know as much so really do your own research because you're going to be the only one at the end of the day who enjoys or not, or does not enjoy your experience with the product.
0: Nice. Tell everyone how they can find you on social media.
1: Oh, uh, just the plant stable. So uh, T-H-E-P-L-A-N-T-S-T-A-B-L-E, kind of like, you know, a horse in a stable, but we do it with plants and a basement.
0: (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.